Hello and welcome to Buffy and the Art of Story Season 5. If you love Buffy the Vampire Slayer and you love creating stories or just taking them apart to see how they work, you're in the right place. Today we're talking about Season 5, Episode 4, Out of My Mind, where Riley is in crisis and Spike sees a chance to kill Buffy. I am Lisa M. Lilly, novelist and founder of writingasasecondcareer.com, where you can learn more about fiction writing, publishing, and book marketing. As to Out of My Mind, today we'll talk about a blend of episode and season-long stories, character building throughout the episode, the powerful difference between showing and telling, conflict through exposition, and misdirecting the audience. No spoilers, except at the end when I'll talk about foreshadowing, but I'll give you plenty of warning. Okay, let's dive into the hellmouth. Out of My Mind originally aired on October 17, 2000. It was written by Rebecca Rand Kirshner and directed by David Grossman. It starts as it should with conflict. Buffy crouches atop a graveyard monument at night. After a moment, she jumps down and stakes a vampire just as he's bursting out of a grave. She fights off another one, but out of nowhere, Riley joins the fight. Buffy's shocked, and then he asks what she's doing there. He thought she was in another quadrant. She says, my job. Riley stakes the vampire. Another emerges, but this time Spike is there and he fights. Buffy rolls her eyes and asks herself aloud why she bothers to show up. Buffy finally kills that vampire and tells Spike she won't put up with this much longer. He argues what else is he going to do with his spare time, knit sweater sets? Now Riley chimes in that Spike shouldn't be out there when Buffy's patrolling. Spike catches the look she gives Riley, which Riley doesn't see. And Spike says, oh, I saw that. Looks like neither boy is entirely welcome. Spike offers Riley his knitting needles. As they leave, Buffy reassures Riley that he didn't get in the way. She was just startled. And he knows she doesn't love the idea of him patrolling. A little callback to that cut scene from the last episode where she told Riley she didn't want him coming down into the tunnels with her to hunt for the demon Toth. Riley tells her he's not one for bench warming, and she assures him, no, he made squad. He threw that vampire like he was a teeny-weeny vampire. But Buffy's not up for looking for more vamps, unless Riley wants to go back with her to kill Spike for the fun of it. But they shake their heads and leave, not knowing Spike is still lurking and listening. Spike now engages in some evil monologuing, saying, I will know your blood, Slayer. I will make your neck my chalice and drink deep. But his attempt to dramatically stalk off is ruined when he falls into an open grave and we go to credits. The conflicts in that cold open relate to at least two of the storylines we're going to see. One is 
the Riley plot, which I think is the main plot, where it turns out something is wrong with Riley and Buffy has to try to save him and Spike's anger at Buffy, which will lead him to try once again to kill her. As to that one, Buffy's and Riley's joke lights the fuse for his anger in the episode. We return from credits at 4 minutes 28 seconds in. Buffy and Willow in the hallway at the university argue about martyrdom and the French Revolution after class. This excites Willow, who's been waiting so long to have this kind of academic discussion with Buffy. And she's impressed by how hard Buffy is studying both in and out of school. But Buffy doesn't know what occipital lobe means when Willow asks if she should be watching hers. And Buffy goes on to comment that all of this is not as much fun as she thought. I'm starting to think this working hard is hard work. She imagined a montage of herself studying, sharpening pencils, working late at night with her glasses all crooked and says, because in my montage I have glasses. Willow sympathizes, and they head to the magic box for Buffy's training session. This short scene is a great way to show how hard Buffy's been working and studying through some fun and jokey conflict between Willow and Buffy, which is also uh, the first example of exposition coming out through conflict rather than someone just telling us what Buffy's been doing. And it's nice character building about Buffy. Last episode, we saw her sitting absorbed in a book about uh, the Crusades and history, even though her friends were all around her joking and talking, and she was so absorbed she barely registered what they said. Now we get some more character building by seeing Xander, and this is continuing to show us Xander becoming more and more competent and confident because he's at the magic shop using a circular saw and building bookshelves for Giles. Anya Cranky chides Giles for putting a monkey head near the sticks water. Do they want exploding monkey heads? Willow is upset that Giles is selling salamander eyes, which are cheaper than newt eyeballs. Giles says it's just snobbishness, but Willow responds, I don't know, if you ask me, the newt name still means something. These are small developments in Giles' season arc of learning to run the magic shop. Buffy goes in the back to train as Tara and Willow talk about telling fortunes in the shop. At 8 minutes 9 seconds in, in the training room, Riley blindsides Buffy, knocking her over in his excitement. So it takes her a moment to recognize all the changes that have been made in the room. There's exercise equipment, training equipment, mats, a dummy to fight. Buffy is thrilled, Giles tells her it's just a start, and Riley is eager to fight her to try it out, but Buffy ignores him wanting to look around at everything in wonder. Riley says, what's the matter, afraid of a little competition? And this takes Riley's intensity up a notch. In the graveyard, he seemed more similar to last week, eager to um, get into the fight, This gives us more of a hint that maybe something is wrong. Normally by this point in the story, 
there would be a story spark or inciting incident that gets the main plot rolling. And usually we see it 10% through any story, book, TV episode. Here, it's interesting because the Willow-Buffy conversation happened at 10% through, and that didn't set off anything. Instead, it gave us some context and a little bit of uh, character building for Buffy. And I think maybe some of the reason that I'm not seeing a clear inciting incident right at that 10% mark in some of these episodes is that more and more the episodes are weaving together the season-long story arcs or at least arcs that go through a significant part of the season. So here, I think that the opening conflict, which is usually there to draw the viewer in and sometimes relates to the main plot but doesn't necessarily start it off actually was the story spark for our main plot and subplot and then we're going to get those major plot turns where it becomes more clear later so now Xander joins them and he says that he made the dummy and Buffy tells him and Giles and Riley that they're like her fairy godmother Santa Claus and Q all wrapped into one. And then she clarifies Q from Bond, not Star Trek. We cut to Spike. He is watching TV in his crypt, and he says to the television, Oh, Casey, you blind idiot. Can't you see she doesn't love you? Harmony bangs on the door. She's frightened. She saw Buffy patrolling with a stake and tells Spike Buffy won't give up until she's killed me to death. Harmony needs a place to hide out and says, didn't you hear? I'm totally her arch nemesis. Spike responds, is that right? I must have missed the memo. Harmony says, there's a memo? Spike, oh my god, this is like a real emergency. She tells him he's her only hope and she'll do anything. Spike asks anything with a leer and Harmony responds, yeah, I said I'll do anything. And then there's a silence and she continues, oh, you mean while I have sex with you? Well, yeah. Spike suggests Harmony kill Buffy, but she tried that and it was all hard and stuff. She wants him to help with the thinking. He agrees at 11 minutes, 58 seconds in. I love Harmony. She's one of my favorite parts of this episode. And around here, I'm looking for what I usually think of as the one-quarter twist, that first major plot turn that comes from outside the protagonist, spins the story in a new direction, and raises the stakes. We're around a quarter here, and that last scene definitely did that for the Spike subplot. This is a big development in his anger at Buffy. As far as the main plot about Riley, I don't think we see a turn in that quite yet. We cut to Buffy and Riley post-sex, which she says was relaxing. Riley wants to know if she wants to relax some more, but says, maybe you're too tired. Buffy responds, hey, I have the endurance of 10 men. Riley says, let's make it women, okay, just for the imagery. I do wonder if that is a uh, purposeful phrasing 
on the writer's part, the endurance of 10 men, because ultimately this is what Riley has trouble with in the episode, Buffy's growing power and strength. We cut to Dawn, who's pouring sugary cereal into one bowl after another to get the toy surprise inside. This is another instance where Dawn seems a little bit younger than 14 years old, although I'm pretty sure I did eat Count Chocula through high school, and I remember fishing through Cheerio boxes for for coupons to get a Dawn doll, if anyone remembers those. Joyce gets dizzy as she makes omelets, and then she looks at Dawn, says, who are you, and passes out. This appears at first to be only about Joyce, who had headaches in the last episode, but it does lead to a turn in Riley's story. Buffy and Riley find Dawn and the hospital waiting area. An intern emerges, Dawn introduces him as Ben and says he gave her his stethoscope and he clarifies that he lent it to her. He's been hanging out with Dawn while Joyce is being tested. This led me to look up interns because I always thought they were doctors and I doubt they have a lot of time to hang out with patients, uh, families in waiting rooms. In the real world, I clarified that yes, interns are doctors. They're brand new doctors, sometimes called first year residents. So no, real world Ben probably couldn't hang out. But this is the world of Buffy. Ben tells Buffy and Riley what's going on, saying it's probably low blood sugar or something not that serious. And Dawn, while they talk, listens with the stethoscope. Riley's heart is galloping. So we're about 14 minutes, 40 seconds in, and I see this as the first major plot turn in the main plot because now we know there is something physically wrong with Riley that's very dangerous. It's not only the ongoing emotional issues or the ongoing doubts about his and Buffy's relationship. There's a commercial break, we return, and a doctor tries to convince Riley that he needs to stay and be tested She has never let a patient with tachycardia this severe leave the hospital, but she can't make him stay. And Buffy also can't persuade him. She asks, what if he has a heart attack? And when he tells her to calm down, responds, me calm down, I'm not the one with a pulse of 150. Riley insists he's fine. His body works differently after the military using him as a lab rat for months. Joyce joins them. She feels like a pincushion and is mostly embarrassed about passing out. At 15 minutes, 58 seconds in, Willow, Buffy, and Dawn surround Joyce, who's on the couch with a blanket. Willow suggests puzzles as something to fill the time as she relaxes. Dawn likes chicken fingers with mustard when she's sick and Joyce promises to make them later, but Buffy rightly says, no, Joyce needs to rest. Joyce, though, is more worried about Riley. Buffy claims she's not to reassure her mother, but when she's alone in her room with Willow and Dawn, she vents. No matter how good a shape Riley is in, no one's body can handle a heart attack. Dawn annoys Buffy by interrupting first with something about the CIA trying to kill Castro and then later about making him go crazy. 
Willow suggests Buffy call the initiative, but they puzzle on how to do it. Buffy says they don't exist, they never claim to exist, and it's unfair that Big Brother spies all the time, but when she has something to say, no one will listen. Willow says there must be a way, and Buffy responds like what? Tour the White House and pretend to get lost and look for a door that says secret government monster hunters? Dawn now comments that if they're really spying all the time, Buffy should just say something where she knows they'll hear her. And Dawn says, quote, like, sometimes I write fake things in my diary in case you, and she trails off. I wonder if this is an explanation for those threatening comments in Dawn's diary, that uh, line that I questioned about, believe me, she's going to find out. If yes, I love that the writers decided to explain that later in this very subtle way. Buffy has been given an idea by Dawn's comment and she rushes off. At 17 minutes, 57 seconds in, she's in Riley's, I guess, house. So he's not in his room at the frat house anymore. She picks up his phone. It's a landline. Everyone had them back then. And there are a couple clicks when she listens to the dial tone. And Buffy says, Riley's in trouble. He needs help. We cut to Riley playing basketball, very active, lots of jump shots. His friend from the initiative, Graham, finds him, and Graham has two more agents with him. Graham tries to convince Riley he desperately needs help. Riley doesn't trust Graham because he's still in the military, and he doesn't know who Graham is taking orders from. Graham points out that Professor Walsh pumped all these chemicals into all of them, messed them up, and Riley got more than anyone. This is another good example of exposition through conflict because there is a reason that Graham is reminding Riley of these things. He's using it to support his argument for why Riley needs help. Riley pretends he might cooperate and Graham tells him they've got a doctor who will take care of him at 20 minutes in. After Graham says he's not giving Riley a choice, Riley punches him. Other agents grab Riley, but he fights them off and breaks away. This is near the midpoint of the episode, and that's where usually we see the protagonist make a major commitment, go all in on the quest, or suffer a major reversal. So there is a commitment by Buffy coming in a moment, but this did raise a question for me of who is the protagonist in this plot about Riley? In terms of having an active goal, which is one of three prongs that I look at, thanks to uh, Lonnie Diane Rich's How Story Works, Buffy is actively pursuing her goal of continuing her Slayer studies, learning more about being a Slayer, being stronger, and patrolling. Now, that's the same goal she has for quite a few episodes, but we see her engaged in it right away as she is patrolling in the graveyard which Riley and Spike are getting in the way of. Riley is more reactive throughout the first half of the episode. And even in this last scene, yes, he punches out Graham. He gets away, but that's the thing. He's getting away. He's trying to maintain what he sees as the status quo, where he is still strong and a fighter and can do everything he did when he was in the initiative. 
So I see Buffy as more actively pursuing a goal, and certainly that becomes more and more the case as the episode goes on. Your protagonist should have the most at stake. Here, Riley's life is on the line. Major stakes for him. Buffy, too, has has pretty high stakes of losing Riley. So in the end, I think that it's point of view that tells us Buffy is the protagonist because other than that scene with Graham, mainly we see the Riley story through Buffy's eyes. At 20 minutes, 16 seconds in, Buffy's angry at Graham that he messed up didn't convince Riley, and now wants Buffy to fix it. They're in a common area at the university. She pushes him until he tells her what's wrong with Riley. He says it's hyperadrenal overload and some other things, basically meaning Riley's way stronger than he ought to be and feeling no pain. He tells her there's a doctor in the neurology wing at the local hospital, and they've been trying to convince Riley for weeks to get help. Buffy makes a commitment to the quest by vowing that she'll get him there after what you could see as a reversal for her, the fact that Graham failed. Graham, as Buffy is walking away, says, and Buffy, she spins around and tells him, if you tell me to hurry, I'll kick your ass. If you find the story structure I talk about here helpful and want to apply it to your own writing, you might find my audiobooks useful. Super Simple Story Structure, a quick guide to plotting and writing your novel. Also, The One-Year Novelist, a week-by-week guide to writing your novel in one year. You can get them wherever you buy audiobooks, or you can ask your local librarian to order either one for you, or they may already have them available. Both Super Simple Story Structure and The One-Year Novelist are also available in workbook and ebook formats. There are links in the show notes at writingasasecondcareer.com under books on writing or at lisalilly.com under nonfiction. It's night, sweaty Riley wanders the caves where Adam captured him. We cut to Buffy and her friends at the magic box. Buffy tells him she hasn't been able to find Riley. She's worried. Willow sympathizes. And then Xander says, maybe he just needs some time alone. Like, I had this friend one time, and he really liked this girl. He got all worried that maybe she didn't like him back, and maybe that made him act like a total jerk. And maybe Riley reminds me of that friend. Buffy and Giles look puzzled. Willow asks what he's talking about, and Xander backs off a little, saying, maybe not. Maybe Riley just wants attention. And Buffy says, well, here's a hot tip. If you want attention, be there so people can give it to you. Anya smiles and tells Xander she cares about him, and she says she has a friend too, and that friend knows Xander's friend, and she really likes him. The way Xander says thanks makes it seem like he wasn't really talking about himself. And this is literally the first time I realized that Xander actually was talking about Riley, given what Riley said to him last week about believing Buffy didn't love him. Before this, I was really puzzled by that exchange that didn't make a lot of sense why he was going on this digression. 
The characters don't get it either. And Buffy interrupts Anya and Xander, assigns everyone places to look for Riley. Willow comments Riley might find the burned out school where he hid before homie. Buffy realizes that what else Riley might find homie in a dank, unpleasant, evil sort of way are the caves under the initiative. But there are so many of them and she doesn't know them that well. Giles suggests they know someone who knows the caves, quote, like the back of his melanin-deprived hand, unquote. Buffy doesn't really want to deal with Spike. He's been bugging her lately in a she-wants-to-shove-a-stake-in-him kind of way. Plus, he's hanging out in that crypt, and you know he's doing something nasty. This is another one of the fun scene cuts in this episode, because on that line, we cut to Spike and Harmony, but all they're doing is playing 20 questions. Spike gets irritated when Harmony cheerily answers that it's not bigger than a bread box, and it's not smaller than a bread box, and he realizes it's a sodding bread box. Harmony is so excited her blondie bear is a 20-question genius. But there's banging on the door and Harmony hides. Buffy storms in. She tells Spike Riley's missing. She's got cash in her hand. And if Spike finds him and brings him to the fourth floor of the hospital, she'll give it to him. Spike uses a voice of exaggerated concern to ask if the enormous hall monitor is sick. Is he going to die? Buffy slaps him and says... He is not the only person that can die. Here, I felt almost in awe of James Marsters because his posture and his face conveyed how insulted he was by the slap. I felt like if she punched him, that would have felt better to him because it would have showed him more respect. But to slap him seems so diminishing to him. He tells her if it's that important, he'll take half of the cash now. And she rips the bills in two and slaps half of them against his chest. And the look he gives her again, truly, if looks could kill. Harmony emerges from hiding and says, so what'd she say about me? At 24 minutes, 24 seconds in, at the hospital, the doctor tells a worried Graham that he's not sure it would have been soon enough if Riley had gotten there yesterday. There's a tapping on the door to Graham's relief, but that's short-lived because it's Harmony and Spike. They throw a dead military guard on the floor. Harmony points the crossbow at the doctor, and Spike says, You got yourself a new patient, Doc. I love this twist. The first time around, I did not see it coming, and it is such an excellent way to bring together Spike's subplot of wanting to kill Buffy with the main story about Riley. This raises the stakes again, almost exponentially, because Spike could be a serious danger. At 26 minutes in, Buffy searches the caves with a flashlight, and we cut to a large room with auditorium seating. It's a medical school. Up front, Spike lies on an operating table. He and Harmony threaten the nervous doctor who insists he doesn't know what he's doing. Spike tells him it's easy. Just reverse what the initiative did when they put in the chip. The doctor warns him the chip is deeply embedded in his cerebral cortex and it could do permanent brain damage to remove it. But Spike has faith in the doctor's survival instincts. I feel like this is management 101, why managing through fear doesn't work, as we'll find out. 
Spike says, come on, Doc, do me right and nothing bad will happen to you. Harmony immediately proves that wrong as she accidentally lets an arrow fly from her crossbow and barely misses the doctor. She says, oops, string was slippy. At 27 minutes in, Willow and Tara search the burned out school, calling out for Riley. Tara's creeped out, especially because it's so dark, so Willow does a spell that creates light all around. Tara, surprised, asks how Willow did that, and Willow says, oh, you know, you taught me. Tara says, I taught you teeny Tinkerbell light. Willow says, okay, so I tinkered with the Tinkerbell light. Anyway, isn't it better than using a flashlight like some kind of doofus? And we get another humorous cut because we cut to Buffy with her flashlight in the caves. Buffy wears a red leather jacket, And I wonder if that was on purpose as well, because red is thought of as a power color. She finds Riley slamming his fist into the cave wall, and he says it doesn't even hurt. She points out his hand is bleeding, makes another pitch for him to get help. Riley reiterates that he doesn't trust a government doctor. The government did this in the first place. Buffy argues that doctor's the only one who knows what's wrong with Riley. And Riley responds, what's wrong with me? I'm more powerful than I've ever been, Buffy. Most people would kill to feel this way. Buffy answers, yeah, and this feeling is going to kill you. She tells him his body's not built for this kind of stress, which implies that hers is and might truly be the heart of the issue here. Riley insists he can handle it, back off, and she asks what's really going on. He says he's not ready to let the government go whimsical with his innards again. Best case scenario, they turn him back into Joe Normal, just another guy. And Buffy says, and that's not enough for you? Riley responds, it's not enough for you. Which made me think of a podcast episode I just listened to this morning, Coaching Carrie. If you're a Sex in the City fan, definitely check it out. They're talking about the characters' concerns about romantic partners and how often that's a reflection of the character's own insecurities and issues. It's not really about the partner. And I think that so sums up what's going on here with Riley. He feels less than. He feels insecure and unhappy with where he is. He doesn't want to be Joe Normal, and he's putting that on Buffy. And Buffy says, why would you say that? And he responds, come on, your last boyfriend wasn't exactly a civilian. Buffy says, so that's what this is about? You're going to die over some macho pissing contest? And Riley says, it's not about him. It's about us. You're getting stronger every day, more powerful. I can't touch you. Every day you're just a little further out of my reach keep interrupting this dialogue, but there's so much here. I feel like this is part of why Buffy as a series has such resonance. To me, this is every woman who has had any level of success deals with this at some point. I hope perhaps that has changed or is changing 
But when I was a newer lawyer, um, I'm in Chicago, 50% of my law school class was women. And yet I can't count the number of times if I met a guy at an event, we'd have a lovely conversation until I said I was a lawyer and I would just see this door shut. And And sometimes the guy would just turn away, walk away. Another friend who was from a smaller town in another state said when she went there, she would always pretend to be a legal secretary instead because the men just, no way were they going to even talk with her. Buffy goes right up to Riley and tells him if he wants to touch her, she's right there and says, I'm not the one running away. And he says, not yet. Buffy tells him nobody's ever known her the way he does. She's opened up to him in ways she never has before. And this is where that distinction between showing and telling becomes so clear. We have been shown in this episode, the last episode, the one before, Buffy's dedication to learning and growing as a slayer, to delving into the history books to the point of Riley being irritated with her about it and missing things her friends are saying. But I don't feel like we have ever seen anything suggesting that Riley somehow knows Buffy better than anyone, that she's opened up to him. There's a little evidence for it in that they've been together a year, but she was with Angel longer than that, we do see that she and Riley can make love with Angel. There was that one time he turned to Angelus and their relationship that was always hanging over it even when he was Angel again and the issue of him being a vampire and he is never going to age while she is. Perhaps that's why Buffy feels like she is closer to Riley or she somehow opened up to him but I've I've really got to reach for that because we just haven't seen it. So this is the writers telling us Buffy's opened up to Riley, telling us that she at least feels that she has done that. And perhaps it was purposeful because Riley definitely doesn't feel that way. But in this episode, it really seems it is less about that and more about Riley's insecurities. And she says to him, there he is thinking it means nothing to her. And does he think that little of her, does he think she spent the last year with him because he had superpowers? And she says, if that's what I wanted, then I'd be dating Spike. She goes on, Riley, I need you. I need you with me and I need you healthy. But if you want to throw it all away because you don't trust me, then then I'm still going to make you go to that doctor. He sighs, looks away, and finally says, take me to him. But he catches her arm as she tries to lead the way out and says, loving you's the scariest thing I've ever done, Buffy. Buffy responds, I don't know why. She puts her hand on his chest near where the chip is. The doctor says we don't have much time. I found this frustrating as a viewer because In this episode, they never finish this conversation. I get why they don't finish it now. She needs to get him to the doctor, but they never really finish it. Continuing with what I talked about last time of how they never 
talk about things. And Riley never says, I said, I love you. You didn't say it back. At 31 minutes, 50 seconds in, we cut to the doctor working on Spike. The doctor sits behind him and his head is open. We don't see it, but we infer it from the dialogue. Harmony paces behind the doctor and tells him she read an article that some women think a man's real sex organ is his brain. Then she looks and says, ick, no contest. I mean, look at it. It's so pink and wriggly looking. Can I touch it? The doctor and Spike both say no. Harmony explains to the doctor that Spike can't hurt any living thing, even a flower, so he can't pick them, and Spike denies that. A little bit of conflict to remind us what Spike's chip does. Now we get to what could be the last major plot turn. Uh, That typically grows from the midpoint and takes the story in yet another new direction. And here, Buffy and Riley find Graham unconscious and the doctor missing. Graham tells them Hostel 17 and a blonde girl did this. And Buffy figures out it was Spike and Harmony, and they must be forcing the doctor to remove the chip. Riley bends over, breathless and in pain. So in some ways, the plot turn really was that Spike grabbed the doctor, which happened quite a while ago. And this is only Buffy finding out. But from her perspective, this spins the story because before she just needed to get Riley to the doctor and that was hard enough. But now not only is the doctor gone and Riley's clutching his chest, but there's a chance that Spike may become a real danger again. Buffy doesn't think that Spike would stay at the hospital, but he will need a surgery room. She tells Graham to reach out to his contacts, find out about veterinary clinics, doctors, offices, and so forth. Riley starts to apologize to Graham for the way he acted before, and Graham tells him to do it later when he's not dead. Buffy tells Riley he's not going to die, but someone is. When she gets her hand on Spike's head, she's going to. And we cut to Spike, who's talking about bathing in the Slayer's blood when he gets his chip out. Not humorous, but a very smooth transition between the two. Harmony breaks into Spike's speech to gush about how she can see the chip like a pretty little Easter egg nestled in his brain. The doctor tells her to put out her cigarette smoking is not allowed, and Harmony responds, oh yeah, says who? He points to the no smoking sign, and Harmony looks and says, oh god, sorry, didn't see the sign. She rushes off to put it out. The doctor shifts, there's a clink, and he tells them the chip is out. Harmony claps her hands, and Spike tells the doc to stitch him up. He's got places to go and slayers to kill, and we cut to commercial. At 35 minutes, 59 seconds in, Buffy and Riley burst in. Buffy's eyes widen as she sees that the doctor is finished with Spike. She pushes the doctor out of harm's way, but tells him to stick around. They'll need him. Spike tells Buffy his head is all clear now, and Buffy says, means I get to kill you. Spike responds, you get to try. 
this is a bit early, but we are reaching the climax where the opposing forces have their final clash and resolve the conflict. It's early here because we have a lot to resolve in the subplots. For now, Harmony shoots an arrow that hits Riley in the thigh. They fight. He slams her on the table, but she recovers and attacks him as Buffy punches Spike out. Spike leaps onto the operating table standing above Buffy and says, at long last, he dives down toward Buffy in vamp face and starts to bite her. To support Buffy and the art of story, you can post a review wherever you listen to podcasts or you can join on patreon.com slash Lisa M. Lilly. That's L-I-S-A-M as in L-I-L-L-Y. For as little as a dollar a month, you'll help ensure the show continues and you'll get access to bonus content, such as a comparison of Jonathan's and Willow's arcs with magic, a breakdown of Angel Season 1, Episode 1, and villains themes and metaphor in Seasons 1 through 4. At the $5 and up level, you'll get Buffy and the Art of Story Season 1, Writing Better Fiction by Watching Buffy, the ebook edition free. Go to patreon.com slash Lisa M. Lilly. I couldn't quite tell on the DVD, but I'm pretty sure in the original there was a cut to commercial right here. We return. Spike is biting, but then howls in pain and Buffy fights him off. But she can't do any more about Spike because Riley now is also howling in pain and drops to the floor. So this moment with the chip Uh, It's another instance of Spike's chip being inconsistent. In some episodes, we have seen him howl in pain just because he moved towards someone with evil intent. This time, he's able to dive down at Buffy and start biting her. But it's, it's close enough, I think, to work, and they obviously wanted that dramatic moment. At 37 minutes, 47 seconds in, as Buffy runs to Riley, Spike lunges for that bowl where the doctor placed the chip, and he takes off the lid and sees a penny inside. And this is the first time that I noticed that the doctor did that when Harmony left to go put out her cigarette. So it's a wonderful moment of misdirecting the audience. We think that Harmony moment is there just for humor, and I found it very funny. I love Harmony as a villain who is ready to kill the doctor, but she's so sorry that she smoked when she didn't see the sign. But while we are distracted by the humor and enjoying it, the first time around, I didn't notice that we don't actually see the doctor take out the chip. We just hear that clink, just like Harmony and Spike heard it. It's a very good way to play fair with the audience and misdirect them so that we don't quite see that twist coming. Spike says a penny and glares at the doc who says he told Spike he couldn't do it. Buffy calls out to the doctor who rushes to Riley as Spike and Harmony run away. 
now we are in the falling action part of the plot. And, and some of that previous scene was falling action where you tie up the loose ends and resolve subplots. And there is still plenty to do here. Spike's subplot continues. It will eventually end with a game changer, uh, a moment or event or realization that changes the world going forward. At 38 minutes, 7 seconds in, as Spike and Harmony run through the graveyard, Spike raves about Buffy. Everywhere he turns, she's there, quote, with that nasty little face and that fancy shampoo commercial hair, end quote. He can't get rid of her. She's haunting him. And he says, this has got to end. We cut to Riley for a scene that we think resolves his subplot for the moment, but then we'll get another scene that does more with it. Here, the doctor tells him he's all set. Riley is bare-chested. There's a bandage on his chest, and one leg of his jeans is cut off, and his thigh is bandaged where Harmony shot him. Buffy approaches, asks how it's going in there, meaning his chest, and Riley not sounding super happy, but to be fair, he's got to be exhausted, says, back to normal. Buffy rests her head on his chest and says, yep. Then she places his hand over her heart and says, and see, I'm still touchable. He tells her give him a week or so to heal, and he'll take full advantage of that. He also assures her he'll be okay when she says she needs to go home to check on her mom, but he looks sad as she leaves. At 40 minutes, 6 seconds in, Riley hobbles a bit as he and Graham walk through a hall. Graham tells him how good it was that Buffy found him when she did, and that he's always said Buffy was impressive. But he goes on, but you know you don't belong here, right? This town. He tells Riley there's nothing for him here. And I think this is continuing Riley's subplot. And that may be why I struggled a little with who's the protagonist. I wasn't separating it. We had the main plot of Buffy trying to pursue her Slayer studies with Riley somewhat getting in the way and then shifting to trying to help Riley, realizing something was wrong and get him help. So that's our main plot. But Riley had a subplot of his own, which is dealing with these changes in his life. And we've seen him struggle before, but this episode puts that into high gear. And now Graham says, you used to have a mission, but now you're what? Mission's boyfriend? Mission's true love? Riley looks sadder at the true love comment and shuffles past Graham, who continues, you belong with us. And there's so much going on there. I have more to say about that in the foreshadowing section, but I don't read Graham as being a jerk here. I don't think he's doing the belittle the guy who puts his girlfriend first. I see him as pointing out the very issue Riley is struggling with, the issue of what is his identity post-initiative. Now we cut 
to spike again. His crypt, there's banging on the door, and once more, Buffy bursts in. They argue. She takes out her stake, tells him he's a killer, and she should have done this years ago. But she's stunned when he tells her, just do it. End his torment. He says, take me out of a world that has you in it. And he rips off his shirt very dramatically, stands before her bare-chested, and says, kill me. She lunges, he flinches, but then he grabs her and kisses her. After a few seconds, she pulls back, stares at him, her hand over her mouth, and then she grabs him and kisses him and whispers, Spike, I want you. Spike responds, Buffy, I love you. God, I love you so much. At 42 minutes, 32 seconds in, Spike gasps, sits up in bed. He's been dreaming. Harmony is asleep on the bed next to him, and he says, oh, God, no, please no. And we go to credits. This is the game changer. Spike discovers his feelings for Buffy. And that was so well built, um, both in previous episodes. I mentioned that moment with the TV when he says, speaking of dishes, when Buffy walks in. And even here, the shampoo, commercial, hair. Sure, he, he could appreciate Buffy's looks and still not be in love with her. But now that he says it, it makes so much sense. And these two characters have always had great chemistry. And as I talked about in season two, when he first appeared, have had that respect for each other, the worthy adversary concept. One side note, um, the first time I watched this, I was watching on this very small, I want to say like a 10-inch TV screen, black and white. This was during law school when I just, I had no time. I just worked and studied all the time, but I would watch Buffy. And I thought at first it was Buffy sleeping in the bed because on that little TV in black and white, it was hard to tell. So I'm not sure when I realized it really was a dream and that that was Harmony in bed with Spike. There was no commentary on the DVD for this episode, so that is it other than foreshadowing, which does include spoilers. I hope you'll stick around for that. If not, thank you for listening. Come back in two weeks for Season 5, Episode 5, No Place Like Home, where we meet a new villain and Buffy learns the truth about Dawn. If you found the story elements I talked about helpful and want to use them with your own writing, download the free story structure worksheets at writingasasecondcareer.com slash story. And we are back for foreshadowing and spoilers. That line when Spike watches TV in the crypt, oh, Casey, you blind idiot, can't you see she doesn't love you? I love that Spike's TV moments often have meaning for the story. 
And here it's got layers because it could refer to Spike and Buffy down the road when he is certain that she loves him and she does not. At least the, uh, the show tells us she does not. I'll have a lot to say about that when we get there, but it could refer to that or it could refer to Riley and Buffy now. At least that is what Riley believes, that Buffy does not love him. And then at the end, in Spike's dream, Buffy says, Spike, I want you. And Spike says, Buffy, I love you. Which is a foreshadowing of their relationship. Buffy definitely will want Spike and will act on that, but not have the depth of feeling that he wants her to have. Xander's comment about his friend fits his later lecture to Buffy in the episode where Riley leaves, where he tells Buffy how she hasn't been treating Riley right, and she's seeing him as a rebound guy, and that's why Riley doesn't feel like Buffy loves him. I never picked up on that before. In that episode, even on rewatching, I kept feeling like it was a bit out of the blue for Xander to have all this insight into Riley, but now it makes sense because Riley made that comment to Xander and Xander is clearly seeing everything through the lens of that comment. Willow's spell uh, with the bright light and Tara's surprise about it foreshadows later season conflicts between them. They're not major, but there will be that fight they have toward the end of the season where Willow is feeling like Tara is more experienced than she is with everything, including magic. Willow here, I think, really feels, no, you taught me how to do this light. But then Tara is seeing Willow's growing power and the fact that Willow can go beyond, or she suspects at this moment, perhaps, that Willow can go far beyond where Tara can. And I don't think that Tara has the reaction that Riley does. I don't think it makes Tara insecure or makes her feel less than, although um, I'll have to see what I think when they get to that fight. But I do think she has some concern about how fast this is happening for Willow and the possible dangers of that. And this leads me to wonder, is that a theme of season five? Are the metaphors in season five about power? Because Riley here talks about you're growing stronger every day. And then we see Willow having grown her magic beyond what Tara realized. So I'll keep an eye out for that, whether that is a season-long metaphor. There's also a fun foreshadowing there when they talk about Tinkerbell lights, because in uh, the beginning of season six, Tara will send a Tinkerbell light to lead Willow to her when Willow and Xander are lost. Buffy's comment, of course, if that's what I wanted, then I'd be dating Spike. A hint that lays a little more groundwork for the Buffy-Spike relationship. And then in terms of this season, I think it adds to 
Riley's feelings leading up to him leaving. It leads to some of his conversations with Spike. He recognizes Spike's attraction for Buffy, how into Buffy Spike is. And this line does a little bit to cue Riley about that. I suppose it's also meant to suggest that that is why Buffy gets involved with Spike later. And Spike will later tell Riley that Buffy needs a little monster in her man. Maybe that is part of the attraction. She has seemed to have a thing for vampires. But I've never really seen it that way because when she fell for Angel, she didn't know at first that he was a vampire. And then when she found out, neither of them had any idea that there was a risk that he could turn back into Angelus. I see it more as, in contrast to Riley, Buffy doesn't need to diminish herself with Spike, and she never needed to do that with Angel either. Neither of them needed Buffy to stop growing so that she wouldn't surpass them. Though perhaps, to be fair, it's easier for them because they are super strong, and Riley is not. And not only that, he has had a loss of strength. Buffy is going stronger, and he, for separate reasons that have nothing to do with her, is getting weaker. Which leads me to Graham's comments about Mission's boyfriend. And as I said last season, I feel like that really is the heart of Riley's issues. They are less about him and Buffy, or at least even if he felt sure Buffy loved him, I think Riley would struggle because he did used to have a mission and not just have a mission. He used to be a leader. He used to take orders, sure, but also he was part of strategy decisions and the other guys followed him. Now he is in a support capacity and is weaker than he was before. And there definitely at the time of Buffy was a very strong double standard, which I think still exists. I hope not as much, but that it is okay for a woman to be mainly in the support role, to be there contributing to a mission, to a purpose by helping her man, but not for a man to do that as part of a couple. On top of it, Riley is or was in the military, which we often see as hyper-masculine. So there is a lot of commentary here on what being a man means and how that might be damaging to Riley. Also, we can see it as it simply highlighting the struggle for any couple, regardless of genders, whose life goals take them in different directions, especially when it's not just a goal, but something each person feels so dedicated to. And how do you manage that if it is almost impossible to put those two missions together. Now, Riley's and Buffy's should fit together. So that isn't um, a perfect metaphor. But when Riley is offered that chance to leave and be part of a mission that we later find out makes him happy, that is a good metaphor for that issue. He has the chance to go away where no one can reach him. And, and how do you do that when it's what you may want to do more than anything, and yet you have to leave someone you love behind? And then finally, 
this can be just unique to Riley as a character, the way he has been built. His identity was the military. He was in the military before he was in the initiative. This is a real life crisis for him, a real loss of identity. And it's hard to feel good in a relationship if you don't feel good about yourself. Now, I could have put this not in the spoiler section, but it leads to my comment that I am disappointed that the show doesn't really explore that. I I think I've said that before, and I get it. It's not Riley's show. And the writers, I think, didn't feel the Buffy-Riley relationship was working. But it would have been so interesting to me to see that be the conflict, to see Riley explore that. This is, regardless, a great foreshadowing of Riley's discontent, of his downward spiral, and of him joining the military again and leaving Buffy. So it lays the groundwork well Overall, this episode does a wonderful job of telling a compelling story in the moment and of weaving in all these seeds of future conflicts and continuing arcs like Joyce and Dawn and Tara and Willow in minor ways that are engaging but that aren't going to resolve in the episode itself. That is it for today. Thank you again for listening. I hope you'll come back next time in two weeks for No Place Like Home, where Buffy faces a powerful foe and Dawn's origin is revealed. You can find back episodes of Buffy and the Art of Story at lisalilly.com slash Buffy Story or on my YouTube channel. And you can find the book editions of Buffy and the Art of Story at lisalilly.com slash buffybooks. Music for this episode was written and performed by Robert Newcastle. Buffy and the Art of Story is a production of Spiny Woman, LLC, copyright 2021. All rights reserved.